It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Three people are dead and at least three more are missing after a large landslide destroyed three houses and covered the highway about 11 miles outside of Wrangell last night. One woman was rescued from the landslide area Tuesday morning and was reported in good condition and receiving medical care by state officials Tuesday afternoon. Alaska State Trooper spokesperson Austin McDaniel said Tuesday that troopers and other local, state, and federal crews are still looking for survivors. This is very much still a search and rescue operation. Um, We are uh, approaching it with that uh, in mind. And I know that all of our uh, teams on the ground, both volunteer, are looking at it with um, with the same lens. The names of the deceased, the survivor, and the missing have not been made public. Search crews are still looking for two missing children and one adult. Search and rescue efforts resumed Tuesday afternoon after geologists determined parts of the slide area were stable. But state geologist Barrett Salisbury said the rainy forecast means that stable areas could still shift more. It looks like there's a lot of moisture in the next week, uh, and that's not a great forecast for being in and around that area. The slide, which was about 500 feet wide where it crossed the road, also cut power to many homes and forced evacuations along the Zimovia Highway. Local officials have urged between 20 and 30 people living near the landslide to evacuate the area with the help of the local fire department and water taxis. Evacuees are being housed in local hotels. On Tuesday, the National Weather Service in Juneau told KSTK that just over three inches of rain fell in rain during a 24-hour period beginning early Monday morning. Geologist Salisbury says heavy rains can increase the already present risk of landslides in southeast Alaska. Salisbury says people in the area should be on high alert for sounds of rumbling or cracking trees, new springs of water, or physical changes to houses or property like swelling ground or shifting porches or foundations. Zimovia Highway has been closed to the public from six mile on, with the exception of local access. There's no timeline for when people who live beyond the landslide might be able to return home. There's also no update on when power might be restored for approximately 75 homes without between Nine Mile and the end of Wrangell's Highway. Governor Mike Dunleavy issued a state disaster declaration Tuesday morning to support the response and recovery. Any missing persons unaccounted for in the slide area should be reported to Wrangell Police at 907-874-3304. Inclement weather in southeast Alaska knocked out six U.S. Coast Guard rescue VHF towers Monday night. That means the Coast Guard may not be able to pick up calls for distress on VHF Channel 16 in certain parts of southern southeast. Four towers, located on Zarembo, Gravina, Suquan, and Duke Islands, are back up and running, but the Coast Guard hasn't declared them fully capable yet. The towers on Mount MacArthur and Mount Robber Baron are still out of commission. Aaron Hankins is the Director of Fire and Emergency Medical Services in Petersburg. He's helping coordinate the relief effort for a deadly landslide Monday night in Wrangell with the Coast Guard. Hankins cautions mariners in the region to avoid some 
Sumner and Zimovia Straits in order to clear the area for ongoing rescue operations. He says there's also dangerous debris from the landslide floating in the water, which may not be immediately visible below the surface. That flotsam can damage or even sink small vessels. Due to the potential gaps in coverage, the Coast Guard is relying on mariners and emergency responders in the region to notify them of mariners in need of help by calling District 17 headquarters in Juneau at 907 463 2980 if they hear an unanswered distress call on VHF Channel 16. Plans for Sitka's new marine haulout and boatyard are being tweaked as early engineering studies are completed. At its November meeting, the board of the Gary Paxton Industrial Park, site of the new facility, approved a few compromises to keep the project on budget as some expenses begin to exceed estimates. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. The first unexpected expense is pile driving. Just five years ago, Sitka constructed a floating dock right next door to the proposed site of the haulout, with piling stout enough to moor a small cruise ship. Engineers naturally assumed that the pilings for the haulout would be about the same length as those installed for the dock, but that proved not to be the case. A geotechnical study conducted earlier this year found that some of the haulout's piles would run about 80 feet longer than anticipated. Municipal engineer Michael Harmon reported to the GPIP board on November 13th that this was going to affect the original $8.1 million budget. So those are very significant costs when it comes to pile driving is is a large portion of our budget. Um, So that put us back on our heels and we did what we try and do well, which is to improvise and overcome and figure out ways to get back within budget. Nevertheless, Harmon said that he and the consulting team from PND Engineering and Juno were able to adjust the spacing of the piles, adjust the width of the planking, and reduce the size of the uplands area to make up the difference in costs. Harmon told the board that these changes would have been efficient even without the necessity of having to balance the budget. You know, we can all have different opinions. If it was, if I was king for a day and owned all this, I would have made this modification from the beginning, even if you weren't short of money and funded some of our other ad alternates. So this is just part of, in, in my mind, really good refinement that's going on, regardless of being short of money. Among the plan alternates are upgrading the 150-ton boat hoist to a state-of-the-art variable hoist, which can adjust its width to park more boats than a smaller area and turn all four wheels to travel in any direction. It would have been just over $350,000 more expensive than a conventional travel lift and wouldn't require the support of a yard trailer to park boats in tighter spaces. Board member Chad Gaydon wondered if it wouldn't be smarter to keep the more expensive machine in the budget and trim expenses elsewhere. We're never going to upgrade this travel lift later. So what we get this time is it for our lifetimes, essentially. And that's why I'm just hesitant to scale back on this travel lift when that is the number one feature that we're going to be using day in and day out. And if we skimp on that with the idea that, well, now we're going to get this transporter too, we're paying two people to do one person's job forever. Other board members were concerned about the variable travel lift's unproven technology and preferred to go with a known quantity. There was consensus, however, on a recommendation from Park Executive Director Gary White to forego a temporary washdown pad and instead spend $50,000 for a heated concrete pad. 
They also approved White's advice to spend just over $130,000 for anodes to protect the galvanized pilings from electrical corrosion. The good kind of electricity remains high in the minds of board members who own boats and plan to use the yard. The base bid for the project doesn't include electrical infrastructure. Marine fabricator Jeremy Serka, speaking from the public, wanted the board to stay focused on outcomes. I mean, as a boat owner, I'd probably want to have some power and water, a uh, permanent wash pad before I would consider a, uh, you know, a travel lift that moves sideways. Board member Lauren Mitchell concurred. She's brought up the issue of shore power at previous engineering and budget reviews, and she was frustrated that it was not getting attention. I don't see how you can work on your boat without power. It's just putting a lot of strain on people to get creative, I guess. The board asked city staff to look into the costs of providing shore power to boats. Municipal Administrator John Leach said that Sitka currently had no electrical director, so they'd likely have to pay for outside help with electricity. The total cash on hand for the project stands at $9.2 million. The $8.1 million withdrawal from the city permanent fund approved by voters last year, plus $1 million from a Denali Commission grant, plus a $100,000 appropriation from the city in 2021. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Scientists in Alaska are now using machine learning, a sort of cousin to artificial intelligence, to link volcanic ash to the specific volcanoes that produced it. As KUCB's Sophia Stewart-Rossi reports, it's a method that was introduced in 2021 to help identify the threat each volcano poses. Alaska is home to over a hundred volcanoes, many of which reside in the Aleutian Islands and the Alaska Peninsula. And each volcano has a unique ash fingerprint that helps scientists to better understand past eruptions and prepare for future ones. Jordan Lubbers with the Alaska Volcano Observatory says, in the past, it's been grueling work for scientists to trace volcanic ash to its source. He says it's especially tricky when researching ancient ash that may have traveled thousands of miles during a large volcanic eruption. It's like playing this connect the dots linking game. Lubbers says there are many factors when identifying ash, like determining the shape of its particles and chemical makeup, then pairing that information to one source on a long list of volcanoes. But now, machine learning is successfully doing that work much faster than before. Lubbers says scientists can drop an ash sample in a lab and let the machine thoroughly analyze it. Computers can think in many different dimensions at once and process a lot of information kind of simultaneously and learn from all of these relationships. Lubbers says volcanic research is crucial for evaluating hazards in Alaska, particularly for aviation, since ash can cause engines to fail during flight. In Unalaska, I'm Sophia Stewart-Rossi. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. 